Morning, everyone. Morning, morning. Why don't you, why don't you take a seat? We'll, we'll keep rolling on. There was, there was just one other thing I wanted to make mention of um, before we kick off, which is something else that's coming up this week um, that we're involved with as a church, and that is that we're hosting on Thursday a Catalyst Leaders Day. Um, where over 200 leaders from across the Catalyst family of churches that we're a part of, um, that's an international family of churches, but the leaders from within the UK are going to be gathering here on Thursday for a, a day of equipping and resourcing. And Adrian's going to be one of the key speakers at that event. And that is one of many ways in which um, Adrian is increasingly influencing our family of churches in, in Catalyst and really blessing us as a movement. So I wanted to bring that to our attention so we can be praying for him and praying for that event. Um, and also last year we did a, a series called Building Culture, looking at what it looks like to enjoy kingdom culture. Adrian preached on uh, a culture of honouring, and that's going to come back and bite him a little bit now, because he won't like this. But I did want to take the moment just to honour Adrian for how actually he's leading us as a church. Um, he, Gus and Vince are leading us so well through a time of great opportunity and adventure and excitement, but also challenge. And when challenge comes, that's when the character of a leader really gets revealed. And in Adrian, I found a man full of faith, full of uh, transparency and desire to catch us all up in the adventure that God has us on. So just want to say thank you, Adrian, for that and just to honour you. Yeah, let's give Adrian a clap. Watch him squirm. Watch him squirm. Be careful what you say from the front, Adrian Hurst. Be a doer of the word, not just a listener. Um, Today today we're going to kick off a a new preaching series looking at the book of the Psalms. And we've called this Songs for the Journey Part 2. The reason we've called it that is because the Psalms are songs. Because we as a church are on a journey with God, a journey of adventure. And because a few years ago we did a similar series in Psalms, and so it's now part two. And as a uh, team, we felt it was right to do a series in the Psalms again. Uh, We'll be looking at different Psalms, what we looked at last time. So over the next five weeks, five different Psalms. And I love the Psalms because they are raw, they are honest, they are worshipful, and they are full of truth. And they give us a bit of a picture of what it's like for us, mere human beings, to have relationship with the living God. Uh, They, with piercing insight and brutal honesty, say, this is me, this is life, and this is God. Uh, This is me, happy, sad, uh, clear, confused. This is life, the good, the bad, the ugly. And this is God, always good. Or they say, This is us, uh, people journeying together. This is life, the circumstances we're facing. And this is our God, always good. So I love the Psalms. And the other thing I love about the Psalms is that they put the life of faith to song. They are beautiful, powerful, poignant songs. Uh, Some of the Psalms you'll find in your Bible have musical instructions which accompany them. They were meant to be presented with music. And music is a wonderful gift from God. The Bible tells us in Zephaniah 3 verse 17 that God rejoices over his people with singing. So he's the original singer-songwriter. 
better than Ed Sheeran or Elton John or Elvis Presley, whichever generation you fall into, he's better than the singer-songwriter of your generation. And don't try and put people in a particular category now. Um, God is full of music. He flows from him. And as those created in his image, we find that music flows from us as well. For some of us more tunefully than for others. But it flows nonetheless. And music gives expression to our emotions and to our inner thoughts. Music moves us. It moves us to tears sometimes. It moves us to dance other times. To work out occasionally. It moves us to romance. It moves us to study perhaps and to come together. Music surrounds us in nature itself. The wind through the trees. The birds with their morning chorus. Music surrounds us. And Martin Luther, the theologian and pastor who 500 years ago to this year helped to lead the Reformation, he said this, Next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. The gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man that he should proclaim the word of God through music. So over the coming five weeks, we're not going to read out the Psalms to you, we're going to have them presented to us in song. And this, morning, this afternoon, we're going to start with Psalm 95, a song of joy, which Andrew's going to come and sing to us. So sit back and enjoy. salvation let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song come let us sing for joy to the lord let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song salvation let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song Yeah. 
so calm under his care today if only you would hear his voice do not harden your hearts as you did in Maribor as you did that day at Masser in the wilderness where your ancestors they tested me What I did for forty years, I was angry with that generation. I said they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. But come, come under his care. Him and come under his care. He is Lord, 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 he is Lord. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. That let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. So come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout salvation and let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song thank you very much andrew fantastic psalm 95 it's a happy song it's a serious song but it's a joyful song and i want us to consider the lyrics of this song under three headings this morning we're going to look at the source of joy knowing God. We're going to look at the threat to joy, missing God. And we're going to look at preserving joy, being together with God. So firstly, the source of joy. Knowing God is the center of all joy. It really is. And the psalmists know it. In Psalm 1611, David exclaims to God, in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. There is nothing more thrilling than knowing God. He captivates the mind. He satisfies the heart. He stirs the soul to awe in him. Fullness of joy is found in him, which is why Psalm 84 verse 10 soars with the lyric, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Just give me a moment with God. All the delights of the world cannot compare with being with him. Money, sex, approval, success, philosophy, family, achievement, status, all the type of things that we want in our lives, and good things, not bad things, but none of them compare to him. In comparison to him, they're like candy floss, sweet tasting, pink and fluffy, but dissolve straight away, compared to the satisfying knowledge of God, knowing him. 
The Apostle Paul knew this, which is why in Philippians 3.8 he says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus my Lord. Everything else is rubbish compared to knowing him. This is a journey I went on myself personally in my university years, realizing nothing would do for me apart from him. This is why Paul keeps instructing the believers in Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice not because life is always good, not because we always feel happy, not because good circumstances will always follow us. Rejoice in the Lord always because Hebrews 13.8 tells us he's the same yesterday, today and forever. So there's always reason to rejoice. And here in Psalm 95, the psalmist is calling for rejoicing in the Lord. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. And the songwriter gives us at least three reasons why we can make God the source of our joy. And they are that he is sovereign, saviour and shepherd. Firstly, he is sovereign. In verses 3 to 5, it says, For the Lord is the great God, the King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands have formed the dry land. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. When this psalm was written, like now, there were many people worshipping many different gods. There were gods for different aspects of life, a god of war, a god of fertility, a god of craft. There were gods for different geographical locations. So in pagan thought, the depths were ruled by a god called Molech, and the mountains by a god called Baal, and the oceans by a god called Tiamat. But here the the psalmist rejoices that there is one true god who rules and reigns over the mountains and over the depths and over the oceans. He is the God who is the maker of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of Israel, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who from eternity has existed in loving relationship and wants that love to flow out, and it did in creation. This is the God who has revealed himself through creation, through the prophets, through the scriptures, but ultimately through Jesus, who the Bible calls the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.16 says that all things were made by Jesus and for Jesus. This glorious God is creator and sustainer. And so, look at the mountain peaks. They're just amazing. You stand before a mountain and you think, this thing won't move. It's huge. It's mighty. It's majestic. It's somewhat overwhelming, particularly if I have to climb it. But he's the maker of them. And by observing the mountain peaks, we get a glimpse of something of his majesty. Look at the depths of the earth. Uh, This is the Grand Canyon. Its beauty and its mystery are mesmerizing. But here in Psalm 95, it celebrates that the depths are held in his hands, formed by his hands. Look at the seas. They are vast and sparkling and full of life. And he made them. Or look at the dry lands, just full of nourishing goodness for us. Well, it's his. It's his, all of it. This is the fruit of his imagination, the result of his power, the product of his design. He rules over it all sovereignly. And by observing it, we see something true about him. 
how is God's sovereignty joy to us? Well, every time we go outside and we take in nature and we take in creation, we're reminded of something true about God. You see, God did not make the universe to be bland and uninteresting. He made it full of color and scent and sound and texture, full of life and beauty and majesty. And by it, we see something true about him. He is full of life, full of beauty, full of majesty. For me personally, I often find it helps me if I'm going to go out to pray to go for a walk in some sort of countryside or something, Um, not in the city centre for me. Because I'm surrounded by creation and it catches me up with it to sing praise to God. And so I hear a bird singing and think, yeah, I will whistle along with that bird to the glory of God. Or no, seriously, I go outside and and see the stars at night time. And I've spent, I love stargazing. And it reminds me of just the majesty of God. And I just consider how far away all that is and how amazingly intricately everything is balanced with gravity and all sorts of things pulling together. And God made it. And it reminds me that I'm quite small and that he is very big. And as a result, I can only do what happens in verse 6 of this psalm and bow down in worship, kneel before the Lord, my maker. A.W. Tozer says, the greatness of God rouses fear within us. But his goodness encourages us not to be afraid. To fear and not be afraid, this is the paradox of faith. I want the friendship, I want the fear of knowing him. But joy is also found in knowing his sovereignty because we know that he who holds the mountaintops and the depths of the earth also holds us in his hands. The highs and the lows of our life are not beyond his sovereignty. Mighty God is our God. This for Oasis Church is really good news. Why can we be so confident as we go into a year of adventure? You know, with you, when you look at everything going on around us as a nation, there's lots of reasons perhaps to think we should be a bit uneasy because there's political uncertainty and there's economic uncertainty and public services are struggling. And this is a year when we've got lots of change ahead as a church. But the reason why we approach it with such confidence and gladness and joy, seeing it as an adventure to embrace, is because we know who God is. He's sovereign and he's good and he's with us. But it's not just because he's sovereign that the psalmist sings for joy. He also sings for joy because he is saviour. In verse 1, we find the lyric, Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. The rock of our salvation. That sounds good, but what does it mean? Well, it means that this same sovereign creator and sustainer who created the mountains like this one in Yosemite is the same God who exerts that creative power in order to rescue us and to do us good, to keep us safe from harm and danger. It means we can sing aloud with the psalmist in Psalm 46 and say that he is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. This God is our fortress, our hiding place, our defender, our saviour. And our ultimate safety depends not on us, not on our strategy, not on our skill, not on our intellect, but on him, the solid rock of our salvation. Because actually the ultimate threat to our safety, the ultimate harm and danger is to be apart from him. We were created for him, to know him, to have everlasting joy in his presence. 
He intended that we share in the joy of the triune God, in his love and his life. The Bible says that with him is the fountain of life, Psalm 36, 9. And the Bible describes Jesus as the bread of life, John 6, 35. He is the very source of light itself, of life itself. Life and light and goodness flows from him, always proceeds from him, flowing out generously. He's a self-giving, life-giving, pouring out God. And so to be apart from him is to die. Because we were made for him. Yet our problem is that sin does separate us from him and makes it hard for us to see him. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's our common condition. Not able to see his glory because of something that gets in the way. And Martin Luther described the sinner as that person who is curved in on himself. I love that, that analogy. It helps me so much because that is our common condition. It's mine. That rather than turning to him and receiving of all his goodness and his life and his beauty, we curve in on ourselves as if to find life and beauty and all that we need within. And we try and satisfy our hearts with lesser things, but... Instead, we find frustration because Augustine of Hippo, who was a 4th century theologian, I wish that someone could call me Mike of Hippo <laughs> rather than Mike of Sturchley. Um, Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We were made for him. But joy of joys, God in his goodness has not left us in that impoverished state of restlessness. He's come for us in Jesus, the rock of our salvation. The one on whom salvation is built and in whom it's secure. Not just for Israel, the specific people, but for anyone who will come to him. Colossians 2.9 says, In Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you've been given fullness in Christ. That is to say that in Christ dwells all the light and life and love and power and glory and truth and wonder of God. And he's come to share of that fullness with us, that we may partake in his fullness. Imagine with me a sunflower. Sunflowers that are starved of the sun look like this. They're kind of poor and... uh, Sorry looking, sad things. But when the sun comes out and the sun shines, the light and the warmth and the life of the sun causes it to turn out and turn up and receive of all the goodness of the sun. So it is for us. Jesus comes to shine light and life into us that we may curve out from our inwardly curveness and turn to him and receive all of his goodness. That's why at Christmas time we sung life and light to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. There's no one like him. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God. That's the gospel. To be brought to God, that's the good news. On the cross, Jesus poured himself out very vividly. And in doing so, he took our restless on him to give us his rest. He took our sin to give us his righteousness. He took our death to give us his life and our separation to give us his sonship. He came 
that we may be brought to God and find in him the source of all our joy again. He came to be for us the rock of our salvation. It's beautiful and he's cried, it's finished, it's done, that work's done. And so the Bible says in Malachi 4.2, a prophecy about Jesus said he is the son of righteousness, risen with healing in his wings, able to shine on our beauty, uncurve us to him and cause us to share in all the fullness of God. This is good news. This is news of great joy because it means that we can join in Romans 8.38 and say, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ultimate safety, ultimate security, ultimate joy ultimately found in the rock of our salvation. This is good news for you if you ever struggle with assurance. Ever struggle with, can I really come to God? That's been one of my battles in life in years gone by. Can I come to God? Even now it will, it will stir its ugly head, show its ugly head. And the temptation is to look within for reasons why I should have some assurance at my feelings or my doings, something that I've done, or to think I need to do more. But actually, that is just turning away from all that I need so much. What I need is to see him, the rock of my salvation, on whom rests all my security. He, when I look to him, I realize I am safe with God because Christ is my saviour, the rock of my salvation, immovable. Perhaps though, You've never known Jesus as the rock of your salvation. Well, if that's you, I'd love to talk to you afterwards because he's yours if you want him. And he wants you to, to know all of his goodness. So God is joy's source because he is sovereign and because he is saviour. Good news, good news. But also because he is shepherd. In verse 7, it's kind of the high point of this psalm. It says, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. He is the sovereign creator. He is the gracious saviour and he is our attentive shepherd. This is joy, joy, joy. Because having created us, having rescued us, he would not for a moment leave us. No, he's our shepherd with us always. He delights to care for his people. Oasis Church is Jesus' church. He's the good shepherd, John 10, 11. His eyes are on us always. He, he is with us always, Matthew 28, 20. Our shepherd always delights to provide for our needs, to secure our protection, to direct our steps. It's another reason why this year of adventure is one in which we can have confidence. There may be people in the room who don't know that we found out in December that we're going to be moving to a new venue because the cricket ground are doing some redevelopments, and so this won't be the place where we can meet anymore from the end of April. And therefore, we're going to be finding somewhere else. And guess what? The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. He's going to provide for us, and he's going to open up the right doors, and we will be taking some action. In fact, we already have. Pushing on some doors, sending out some feelers, moving. Faith always demands movement. And guess what? Exciting things are happening. God is going before us. He already has. 
But actually, the reason why we can have confidence in it is because he is our shepherd. He is in control. And the movement and the journey itself is good. Like Psalm 23, we'll be able to say, his goodness and his mercy follow us all the days of our life, everywhere we go. There will be moments on this journey of green pastures and of still waters, of rest and of basking in him. At at different times in our lives as individuals or as a community, there may be times when it feels like a valley that's dark and there's temptation to fear. But like David in Psalm 23, we can say, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's not going to leave me. Rock of my salvation, sovereign Lord God, shepherd. Don't you just want to sing to him? Doesn't it make you want to sing for joy to him? Isn't it joyful news that he is sovereign, that he is saviour, that he is shepherd? Let's sing for joy to the rock of our salvation. But there is a threat to joy, which I just want to briefly touch on. Verse 8 to 11 of this psalm, it kind of feels like, oh, it's just gone minor key a little bit here, hasn't it? Like the tone has changed. This was kind of ukulele thingy. Is that ukulele? Anyway, what Andrew was playing. And then suddenly, like, oh, minor key. Start saying this, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at that time at Massar in the desert. And then the psalmist talks about how the people tested God and their hearts went astray from him because they hadn't really known his ways and therefore God was angry and there was 40 years of restlessness. What's going on here? What's all that about? Well, the the psalmist is recalling the time immediately after Israel, the people of God, were taken out of slavery in Egypt. You can read the story in Exodus. God, in his goodness, rescued his people from cruel and oppressive slavery in Egypt. He brought them out in order that they may be his people under his care so that they could show the world what he's like. And the story is remarkable. You've got God speaking through burning bushes. And you've got God showing his sovereignty over creation through plagues that fell upon the Egyptians and through many signs and wonders. You've got the Passover by which his people were saved. You've got God parting the Red Sea and the people walking across it as on dry land. And you've got God leading his people with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The presence of God going before them. Wow. You've got God providing food for them, quail for meat and manna for bread, miracle bread came on the ground like dew in the morning. Each morning they gathered it up. I mean, I'd have loved to have been there to experience this stuff. What does manna even taste like? I'd like to find out. Sweet, apparently. Um, Amazing. And yet, and yet somehow, even though they've known God as sovereign saviour shepherd, Exodus 17 and Numbers 20 tells us how quickly the people forgot God. On both occasions, the people are in need of water. The desert is dry, the journey is hard, the road is thirsty. They need water. But they don't just ask God. And they don't bring their distress for the situation to him. Instead, they quarrel and they grumble about him and about the leader that he's put over them, Moses. They accuse God. They say things like, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die here in the desert? 
Was this your plan all along? Was this some sort of twisted, sick plan? Get us out here so we'd die out here? Would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. And then they've got these rose-tinted spectacles whereby they remember, oh, Egypt, there was food there. We were safe there. It was so good there. It was terrible there. They put God's character to the test as if he was not sovereign and not saviour and not shepherd. They portray him as if he's someone very different to who he is, as if he would not care for them, as if his promises were false all along. They made this wonderful, loving, gracious God out to be a monster, as if he would fail to work all things for their good. Meribah means strife and Massah means testing. And the people responded in the same way when the spies went out to check out the promised land, Canaan. Some spies were sent out from Israel to check out what is this land going to be like that God promised us. And the land was really good. But they came back saying, the people are huge. We couldn't possibly do it. This is, no, God's got it wrong. This isn't possible. No, we, we don't believe God. And so instead of choosing faith and trusting God, whose track record is pretty good, they went instead for fear and despair. And that becomes very contagious very quickly, accusing God of taking them out here just so that they would perish. Somehow these people had been around God, but missed him entirely. They'd even seen his mighty works, but not known him. Which is why verse 10 says, they've not known my ways. The circumstances in the desert were hard. And their sin was not feeling wobbly about it. Their, their sin was not feeling anxious about their difficult circumstances. Their sin was, not, was failing to bring those feelings and this difficulty to God and believing that he would care. Their sin was refusing to believe that he is sovereign saviour shepherd not just having a blip but continuously persistently disbelieving that he is sovereign saviour shepherd God their sin was to make him out to be something very different to who he is and so in doing so they traded joy for fear and remember Augustine we were made for you O God and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you they, they traded rest in him for restlessness outside The Israelites refused to come to him. What's amazing is that God still in his mercy provided them with water. The rock of ages caused water to flow from a rock for them on both occasions. But the people missed God and so they lost joy. And how they slighted him, his good God, by making him out to be someone very different to who he is. In Psalm 95, David warns Israel then in that day, today... Do not make the same mistake. And then in Hebrews 3, in the New Testament, the same events are referenced and the writer says, today, Christian believers, do not make the same mistake. The message is for us today, Oasis Church. Don't make the same mistake. Don't imagine a God of your creation different to the one who's been revealed to you, who is sovereign, who is saviour, who is shepherd. It, we are prone as human beings to think of God as less than who he is. I know that's, sometimes that's my propensity to think of him as less kind than he really is. 
He is our sovereign, saving, shepherding, good God. Let's not make him less than who he is, but let's take hold of his goodness and celebrate who he is, stepping into all that he has for us. Let's fill our gaze with him and choose faith, not fear. So briefly and lastly, how do we preserve joy, therefore? We do it through being together and being thankful and being tuneful. First of all, we stay together. The Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. We need each other. It's really important. Psalm 95 is a corporate psalm. It's come together. Let us come. Come, 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 come. Look to him. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. We really need to encourage one another. Like a, like a coal that's taken out of a fire, it pretty soon burns out. It, it, we need each other's heat to keep encouraging one another. Remember who God is. Isn't he good? Remember all he's done. Oh yeah, yes. Isn't he good? Let's keep together. That means let's continue to gather on a Sunday. But one of the things we want to do more and more is let's help each other into expressions in the middle of the week where we can gather and encourage one another in our relationship with God through small groups in other various settings. So stay together. Number two, let's stay, stay thankful. Verse two says, let us come before him with thanksgiving. We just need to be constantly calling to mind who he is and what he's done. Through the scriptures, what, who he is and what he's done for us as Oasis Church. We've got an incredible story to tell. And also, who he is and what he's done for us as individuals. We've all got stories to tell. Let's tell our stories. They do each other good. Let's get into the habit of being thankful because thankfulness encourages faith and it fuels joy. So let's use our voice to be a voice of faith, not despair. And let's keep it tuneful. Let's keep singing. Singing does us good. There's a reason why when we gather we sing because it, it causes all of our emotions and our hearts and our minds to join together in celebrating God. So we're going to try and keep it tuneful. Um, for, for me, that might be a bit more of an effort than for others. Um, we have a sovereign, saving, shepherding, good God. Let's not take our eyes off of him. Let's not curve back in. Let's continue to turn out to him, thanking him together, tunefully, for, as, for as, as much as we gather. Okay? Why don't we stand? I'll pray and then we'll finish. You don't have to stand if it's difficult for you to do so. so don't worry about that. Maybe that for some of us... Um, it would be good to have someone specifically pray for you later. Perhaps you don't know this God. He wants to know you and for you to know him. He does know you. He wants you to know him. And so if that's you, we'd love to speak to you afterwards and for you to, to know something of his goodness for you. Um, perhaps though, actually for you, you're just needing some encouragement. Well, maybe use this opportunity afterwards to to gather with others and just receive encouragement to know more of who he is. Let me pray. Lord, Jesus, I want to thank you for the wonder of who you are. Thank you that, Jesus, when we've seen you, we've seen the Father. Thank you, you are the glory, the, the radiance of the Father's glory. And I thank you that when we see you, we see one who reaches out to the rejected, who draws alongside those who feel they're never good enough to come and who lifts them up. I think when we see you, we see one who 
goes to those that others would exclude. We see one who is mighty to heal and powerful to save, who's wise to instruct and who is open-hearted to invite us in. And so, Jesus, we want to look upon you. Oh, how good a sight it is. It's a transforming sight to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, as it tells us in 2 Corinthians 4. We want to see more of you, Lord Jesus. We want to see more of you, Father. Open our eyes. Thank you we're on a journey. Thank you we're on it together. Oh, it's just no use being on our own. Thank you we're on it together, Lord. And together we want to thank you for who you are and see more of you and encourage one another along the way and say, yes, our God is great. Let's make him known. So God, would you be with us this week and may this be a week of discovering more of you. Amen.